are in week six. Can you believe it? Week six of this action series that we're doing here. And we're studying out of the book of James. And we made it through the first chapter. We're going to be getting into the second chapter today. But James is all about action. I don't know if you've studied James before. Uh, I painfully have studied James like three or four times and led different groups. But it's all about doing something. James, James wants us to do something. He says our faith needs to be in motion. Our faith needs to be in motion. So that's why we've entitled this series, Action. We talked the first few weeks about trials. I like how James sets this up. He talks about trials. He says, hey, consider it all joy when you go through trials. Say, what, James? You're crazy. But he knows that everybody is going to experience trials in their lives. And he wants to give us a different perspective. He wants to give us God's perspective when we go through trials. They're designed, trials can be to... Uh, have us be mature in our faith. It creates maturity in our life when we go through trials. We persevere. We understand what persevering is all about when we go through trials. And then we talked about one week about embracing the trials that we go through. That's tough stuff. But James is there right in our face showing us these things. And it's good. It's good for us to be challenged. We were also challenged a couple weeks ago to what? Listen better, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Man, that's tough stuff. Once again, James is right up in our grill. And then last week we talked about just do it, the old Nike motto, just do it. Whatever you read in God's word and and God puts in your heart, puts in your mind and your spirit, just do it. Go out and do whatever God is telling you to do. So now, we're going to be challenged again today. But before, uh, before I get into it, I want to start off with a video, and I'm sure you're going to recognize this personality. Go ahead and run the video. Now, what? Can I just say he admitted to us that he was intoxicated? I don't care if he's intoxicated or not. What were you cursing at him for? What were you cursing at him for? Your best friend tells me you were cursing at him from the car. Were you intoxicated? We were being dumb, and then he confronts two tiny women in front of the house while him, and it wasn't three, it was like five or six of his friends. Were you cursing at five or six of his friends for, you idiot? (laughs) What? Put your hand down. Put your hand down. What? Did we get a chance? If there are five or six of his friends, madam, what were you cursing at them for? Because they're losers. Do you get it? Do you get it? They're manipulative. She's a problem. Your daughter is a problem. Judgment for the plaintiff in the amount of $4,000. That's all. Step out. Wow. Judge Judy, right? (laughs) Who's afraid of Judge Judy like I am? Man. She is going to rip you up, isn't she? <laughs> uh, you know what? And some, it, she's a judge, man. Who, you know, you're afraid of the judge sometimes, right? You get in that courtroom. I, not that I've ever been in a courtroom. Well, actually, I have been in a courtroom. This is a, this is a bunny, bunny trail. I shouldn't say it. I'm not going <laughs> to. It has to do with my daughter. It was harmless, but at any rate, uh, nobody, nobody likes to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged. But speaking about judging, today we're going to start uh, with just a small verse. Actually, it's actually half a verse that we're going to start with today. 
And I guarantee you that this verse is going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Is everybody ready for this verse? Okay, here it is. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13, actually the second half of that verse. Have you ever received mercy from someone or some, I don't know, some organization or whatever? Have you ever received mercy? Maybe for you it was a cop that let you off with a warning. Have you ever experienced that? Don't be afraid. I'm going to raise my hand. Yes. Cop gave me a warning. I was like, thank you, Mr. Policeman, for giving me a warning. I did not see that stop sign that I went through. Or how about your father or your mother? Maybe they caught you doing something. They're like, you know what? I think you've learned your lesson. I'm not going to tell either your mother or your father. And it was just between you and them, and they they kind of granted you some mercy because of the situation. Or maybe it was a teacher. Maybe you had a teacher or a professor that maybe you shouldn't have gotten the grade that you did. Maybe it wasn't the grade you earned, but they saw how much time and effort you put into it. And so maybe they bumped up your grade just a little bit on a, on a research paper or something like that. So when I say mercy triumphs over judgment, you know, that's a good news, right? That is good news for each one of us, and I'm sure that each one of us had been there. So what I want to do next is talk about these four words that we see, these four little words. Actually, James was written in the Greek, and the Greek, it's only three words in the Greek. But I want to talk about the first word that we want to talk about is judgment. Now, nobody likes to be judged. We just talked about Judge Judy, right? Nobody likes to be judged. But here's the reality. All of us deserve judgment. All of us deserve judgment. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says this, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. That's a scary verse, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know about you, ma'am. I've done some dumb things in my 53 years, almost 54 years. Man, that's a scary verse. Every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil, every deed's going to be brought into judgment. Or let's, you know, a lot of times we think of, okay, that's Old Testament. Well, let's talk about New Testament. Let's go to Romans and see what Romans has to say. Go ahead and bring that up. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Judgment is death. So, what does judgment mean, though? What is the definition of judgment in this context? It's that. Judgment is simply condemnation and punishment, basically what we thought it would be, is condemnation and punishment. When God judges, maybe it's our behavior, maybe it's our performance or failure, this is what happens, condemnation and punishment. That's what judgment means. But, there's, there's a but. There is a big old but right here. Oh. Whoops. I'm going to have to edit that out of the podcast. No, I'll let it in there. Why not? It'll make somebody laugh at home, right? Okay, so the big but is this. Instead, God offers us mercy. 
God offers us mercy. So we know what judgment, we just defined judgment. So let, now let's define what mercy is. Micah 7.18 says this, this is out of the NIV. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Once again, this is an Old Testament reference. Who would have thunk, right? We all think Old Testament is just judgment, but look at what Micah says about God. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Man, that's awesome. And then let's go to the New Testament. First Peter says this, 1-3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. And we sung about that during our worship time. We talked about that during our communion time, about what Jesus does for us. In God's great mercy, he sent Jesus. And this is what we experience, new birth and living hope. Judgment is frightening. It's terrifying. It's awful. But mercy is hopeful. It's bright and it's kind. And this is what God offers each one of us. He offers us mercy. So let's define mercy. Let's go ahead and look at the definition of mercy. It is kindness. Rescued from affliction. Kindness. Rescued from affliction. I love that word rescued. We all need rescuing, don't we? We all need rescuing from affliction. So when mercy is contrasted with judgment, judgment is affliction. It's pain. It makes us sad. It destroys. But mercy, once again, is kind. And this kindness rescues us from judgment. So I have a question for each one of us. How do you view God right now? How do you view God? I know for me, for many, many years, I viewed God as only wanting justice, only wanting penance for my sins. But when I read the Bible and I understand the heart of the Father, I see something entirely different. The Father desires relationship. I want you to listen carefully about my next statement. Because this is something that we talked about. Gene talked about the Connect group, you know, and we were having a Connect group with elders. And this is something we talked about last Wednesday. God cares less about my specific sin. God cares less about my specific sins. He cares more about what those sins do to my relationship with him. Did I say God doesn't care about sin? No, but he cares less about the sins that I commit. He cares more about what those sins do to my relationship with him. Because what happens when we sin? What did Adam and Eve do? They hid, right? What do we do when when we're maybe not quite right? We hide. We don't go to God. We hide because that sin is starting now to separate us. We have shame. We have guilt in our lives now. And we isolate ourselves. But God wants relationship. God's a God of restoration. That's why this mercy thing is so awesome. Because he extends that mercy to us and he wants us to be restored in relationship with him. Just like he was looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you at? I want relationship. 
but they were hiding. And we do that in our lives too. Don't hide from God. Go to God. Restore relationship. That's what God's all about. So therefore, that's why we can say mercy triumphs over judgment. So let's talk about that phrase triumphs over. That's one word in the Greek. In John 3.16, very familiar verse for all of us, I know, but for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's mercy triumphed over judgment. Man, that's so good. Let's talk about triumphs over. Let's define that. What is triumphs over? What is that? It means to rejoice in the, restru- in the destruction of. Have you ever thought of that before? Probably not. This was kind of a new concept to me too. Triumphs over is defined as to rejoice in the destruction of. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. It's an intense rejoicing. It's having a party. It, it is actually, mercy destroys judgment. And then it just doesn't destroy judgment. It dances on judgment's grave. That's what mercy does. And then it doesn't even stop there. It's a celebration of our future as well. It's a celebration of our future. I, man, what a visual that gives me. God dancing over judgment because of the mercy and the triumphs over The mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, this is good. This is good news. It's so good. Somebody should probably say amen. Amen. Thank you very much. We need to worship just for a minute. I I picked a video. It's just a small segment of a video. I don't know if you've heard this song, Mercy by Bethel Music. It's been out a few years. It's really good. Uh, Let's just, we're going to dim the lights. We're going to shut down the lights. We're going to watch this video just for a couple minutes.
Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the truth today. And that's awesome, wonderful news for every one of us that have comprehended the depravity and the corruption that sin can bring into our lives. But I do have some news because we need to put this verse in context. Like I told you, it's out of James chapter 2, verse 13. But why does James say this? Why does James say mercy triumphs over judgment? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to show you why he said that. It's all about action. And he likes to hit us where it hurts, right? We've already talked about that in our little review. So let's go ahead and go to James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And we'll see exactly what James is talking about before he gets to verse 13. Now remember, he just got done telling us to just do it after he told us to make sure that we're quick to listen. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Remember, we've talked about how God levels the playing field. God levels the playing field between rich and poor, between men and women. Jesus elevated women because in that culture, women were oppressed, but God levels the playing field. And this is exactly what James is talking about here. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you and they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who you belong to? If you, were, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. I love how he calls it the royal law. <laughs> That's so awesome. The royal law. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show favoritism, you sin and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking it all. And that was, a th- that was the Jewish mindset. So remember who he's speaking to. He's really talking to them culturally where they're at. They understood about law and about breaking laws and about all this stuff. But James is hitting them and hitting us, man, right between the eyes. For he... For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you should not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And then we see here verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. So everything we've talked about thus far from God's perspective is true. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But what's James saying here? He's saying it's not only from God's perspective, but now it's from our perspective as well. We need to show mercy rather than judgment because mercy triumphs over judgment in your life and in mine. My mercy must triumph over judgment. 
Why? Well, let's read verse 13 again. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So once we experience this mercy, God's mercy, he says to you and to me that we must show mercy like he has shown mercy to us. We must. We're compelled to. It's not a choice, man. We're compelled to. My mercy's got to triumph over judgment. It has to. But what, Pastor Bob, that sounds a lot like uh, salvation by works, doesn't it? I don't think Jesus would agree with this dude James saying that. Well, I'm glad you asked that question as well. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it, shall we? I love doing that, as you can tell. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. We love Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, right? 5, 6, 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7. says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Excellent. We will be shown mercy as we are merciful. Matthew 6, 14, and 15. One chapter later, Jesus says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, that's pretty harsh, Jesus. Really? Let's go to Matthew 7, one more chapter. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And in the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's almost like a Dr. Seuss verse there, isn't it? He keeps talking about it, the same thing. Don't judge or you're going to be judged. Man, this is tough stuff, isn't it? This is from Jesus. This is Jesus' teaching here. Jesus hits us right in the gut, right where it hurts. And then Jesus goes on to tell a story. And we have about a two-minute video that describes that story out of Matthew. Go ahead and roll that video. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. 
For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgiveness, once again. We've talked about forgiveness a lot this year. We talked about it a few weeks ago. 
So what's Jesus talking about here? What's James getting at? Is it just salvation by works? No. You know, I talked about Martin Luther had a problem with some of the things that James talked about because he was so against the law. But we're really not talking about the law here. What we're talking about about is our hearts. Because if the Holy Spirit has impacted your life, Jesus wants your heart to change. And we have this dynamic to where we're being pulled in two different directions. Our naturalness is to get angry. It's not to be slow to speak and be quick to listen. Our human nature wants to get retribution and vengeance. And we want people to be judged. But that's not God's heart. God's heart is for restoration. God's heart is for mercy to triumph over judgment. God's heart is for forgiveness to take place in our lives. And I love that, that video. <laughs> 77 times, or some versions say 70 times 7. Basically, what Jesus is saying is that you need to just forgive, period. That's it. Don't worry about the rest. We come up with a lot of excuses. We come up with a lot of reasons why maybe we shouldn't forgive. If you've been deeply wounded by a family member or a friend or a boss or a coworker or somebody, if you lived on this earth for more than about 10 or 15 years, you've been deeply wounded. It's tough to forgive someone who hurts us. It is. But remember this, that forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not the same as retrusting that person fully again. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're saying what they did was okay. Forgiveness may or may not result in reconciliation. It, it might not. It takes two people to have a relationship. Boundaries may need to be set up in your life so that the abuse does not continue. So that's not what forgiveness is all about. But what forgiveness is, is forgiveness releases us from the bitterness that's going to be held up in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. Forgiveness is tough. And that's why Jesus says, keep forgiving. Because you can forgive and then three weeks later see that person at Smith's. Guess what? You're going to have to forgive all over again. Until you distance yourself from that pain far enough and God has done a rework in your heart so that when you see that person, it doesn't all come back. Continue forgiving. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Continue forgiving. It's difficult. My mercy has to. My mercy's gotta triumph over judgment. It's difficult to forgive someone who's hurt you. I understand that. I know that. But it's critically important to understand that as people who have received mercy, we are called to extend mercy to others. Here's what forgiveness looks like in another believer's life. I don't know if you know Lisa and John Bevere. Uh, They do a lot of ministry. Uh, John's a pastor. They do a lot of teaching together. Lisa travels and does different conferences and stuff like that. Uh, and, and I know I'm video you to death today, but this is important stuff. 
the videos we've, we've picked today were designed for a reason. Watch this video. I grew up in an emotionally and physically abusive household. My mother was incredibly emotionally violent, and then my father was detached. He was an alcoholic. I never knew what I was going to come home to. I never knew what he was going to come home like. You know, what was so amazing is I still wanted a relationship with my father. When I had children, I began to think, maybe now my father will engage. And I remember there was a time period where John and I loaded up our four boys and we drove all the way down to go see my father, knocked on the door, and my father didn't answer. And there was just this little note, and he said, I'm sorry, I changed my mind, I don't want to see you guys. It was like, God... You know, I feel like I am utterly and completely fatherless. Not because I don't have a father, but because my father doesn't want anything to do with me or with us. He said, your dad has let go of any right to be your father. He said, but baby girl, if you need something, you just call out to me. And at that point, my expectations for my father changed. I was no longer looking for him to be what he couldn't be to me because I was getting that from my Heavenly Father. A year before my father died, my oldest son and I went and visited him. He was in an alcohol-related dementia center. And I thought, what do I say to this man who is on the edge of eternity? And this is what I heard, tell him he was a good dad. I thought, no, no, I'm not telling somebody on the threshold of death a lie. He was not a good dad. I'm not telling that. And I heard him. Again, the Holy Spirit said, Lisa, he was as good as he knew how to be. Tell him he was a good dad. So I grabbed a hold of my dad's hands, and I, I brought him up you know, between us. So I had full attention. And I looked him in the eyes and said, Dad, you were a good dad. He began to shake. It was like a thousand volts of electricity shot through that Sicilian man where he's weeping and crying. And he formed the only two words. He spoke the entire time we were there. He kissed the back of my hands and he said, thank you. And when he said thank you, my dad wept and cried over my hands and nodded as my son prayed him into eternity. And we put him to bed that night, and that was the last time that I ever got to see him. I don't know who it is you're afraid to love. I don't know if it's a father. I don't know if it's a mother. I don't know if it's a brother or, or somebody that violated you. But I'm just going to tell you that you will never, ever regret forgiving other people. None of us deserve the mercy we get. We all deserve judgment. And yet God gives us mercy. So how can we do anything less for others? Be courageous and love and forgive. Man, that's a powerful story. I don't know who it is in your life that needs to be forgiven. But if if we can listen to a story like that, that's a powerful story we can forgive. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Come on up, band. Father God, we thank you so much for the time that we've set aside here this morning to listen to what James has to tell us. Mercy triumphs 
over judgment. And God, you have blessed us. We understand that as Jesus followers. If we've asked you to be our Lord and Savior, if we are following after you, we understand what mercy is all about. And God, now in the context of James, you're calling us to extend forgiveness and mercy to those that are in our lives, to the way that you've extended to us. Thank you so much for Lisa's story, uh, that she was willing to share it and, and put it in video so that we could hear it here today. I know that each one of us in our lives struggle with forgiveness to one degree or another. And maybe right now today we're walking through some deep waters. God, as we're spending a moment in in prayer, I just want you to minister, speak to our hearts. As we're struggling with this issue of forgiveness. Comfort us, Lord, I pray. Give us the strength to forgive. Give us the desire to forgive those in our lives. Thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I can experience forgiveness. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me in my life to extend that forgiveness to others. Thank you so much. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to go into a prayer time like we've done the last few weeks, but I want to walk us through the next steps on your Connect cards. Uh, So if you get your Connect cards out, take a look at them. There's a few things here that we can respond to, respond to this message here today. The first thing is I'm going to begin following Jesus today. We talk about that each week because you never know where somebody is in their life. You never know when they've made that commitment to Jesus and let Jesus be the leader, the boss. Let Jesus be Savior in our lives. So obviously we always want to talk about that. Second thing is God's mercy is triumphing over judgment in my life today. Maybe you've never thought of that, but today you are, and you're like, you know what? Mercy is going to triumph over judgment in my life. Mark that box. I'm going to stop playing favorites. You know, we talked about that, playing favorites in James, especially in church. You know, God leveled the playing field, and so should we in our lives. Let's level the playing field today. And then lastly, I'm going to forgive someone who has hurt me. And maybe in the notes that you're taking, you want to write in that name. Take a few moments to consider that and mark on your connection cards.